Father, we praise you that you have revealed your truth to us. Thank you for what we've seen in Matthew 8-9 through 9 and for what we'll wrap up today. We pray that we would be people who listen to you and who are changed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're finishing up a sermon series today in which we've been going through Matthew chapters 8 through 9. In this series, we have seen two very amazing aspects of Jesus' ministry. He is one who has tremendous compassion for people. But he's also one who has powerful authority. Now think about those two things, compassion and authority. We don't often see those two things together. We might be used to people who have a lot of compassion and oftentimes they are are led into roles in life in which they get to be servants and they do a great job serving. And on the other hand, we we know what it's like to see people with authority and oftentimes people with with those leanings move into positions of power. And, And too often, people in those positions of authority act without compassion. So so again, I'll say we're not always used to seeing people who excel both in compassion and in authority, but that's exactly what we see when we look at Jesus Christ. As we finish our sermon series today, we're going to see evidence again of Jesus' compassion and his authority. But then also we're going to see what he expects from us as he leads us. You see, the point of the sermon series that we've been doing hasn't just been to understand who Jesus is, although that's a very important part of this. The idea behind this sermon series is that we wanted to look at who Jesus is and follow him and trust that as we follow him, God will make us more like him. So as we see Jesus as the compassionate one, I want us to be people who are compassionate as well. As we see Jesus as the one who has authority, I want us to submit to his authority. And if God gives us the opportunity to lead, that we would lead like he does. So today we're going to wrap up this sermon series by using the same three-part outline that we've been looking at before. We're going to look again at the compassion and the authority of Jesus, but we're not going to leave it there because Jesus didn't leave it there. We're going to look at what it means for us to follow Jesus. Our passage today is the last part of Matthew 9. I'll read it now, starting in verse 35. When Jesus went, excuse me, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So our first point again today is compassion. And the first part of Jesus' compassion I want to point out to you is in verse 35. I want to highlight the words all and every there. In his compassion, Jesus traveled to all the towns and villages. You see, he wanted to bring the message of the kingdom of God, the good news of it, to all the people. But lest you think that this was just a ministry of words... Let's also remember what we've seen throughout Matthew 8 through 9. Jesus also showed showed great compassion by helping those who were in need. And in verse 35 here it says that he healed every disease and sickness. Jesus cares about the whole person. And that should remind us that God cares about every detail of our lives. So I just want to urge you to go to the compassionate God right now and if there's anything that's troubling you, whether it's a physical ailment 
or uh, some situation in life that's just bothering you, I want you to know that you can take that to God and God cares. That is the consistent pattern that we have seen from Jesus throughout Matthew 8 through 9. He helped those who were in need because he has great compassion. We also see the compassion of Jesus in verse 36. And the specific word for compassion there is that word that refers to the gut. It's that that gut-level feeling. You ever have that? You see a situation where someone is in need and you feel their pain inside of your gut? Well, you know what? That comes from God. Don't ignore that feeling if it ever comes your way. That's what Jesus felt when he saw the the crowds here. And in verse 36, Jesus had this compassion for the people because they were like lost sheep. They were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, in this context, the spiritual leaders of Israel weren't doing their job in pointing people to God. And Jesus saw the condition of those people and their great need. And Jesus moved to do what was needed to help them. Now, when I see this verse, I often think of a life lesson that I learned back in 1998. It's one of those that's etched into my brain. I I took it as a rebuke, even though the person who gave it, I don't think, was intending to rebuke me, but it was a rebuke that I needed. So here's the story. I was on a summer missions project with Campus Crusade for Christ in 1998, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and one of the other students on the summer project was going to be teaching on, on this passage. And this student asked me, what do you think should be our primary motivation for evangelism? Should it be obedience or compassion? And without too much thought, my answer was obedience. I was thinking of of passages like the Great Commission where God said go. And my, my answer was that in obedience to God, we should do what he has told us to do. We should go and tell other people the good news. So when the student came up to give this message, I thought, all right, I'm going to get quoted and I'm going to look pretty smart. And (laughs) when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And not to underscore obedience, because I I do think that obedience is important. But I, I needed a rebuke that day. I needed to remember the compassion of God, that the reason that we are to join with God in his mission is because he cares about people. They aren't just statistics out there who need to come to Christ so that the poll numbers in America can go up from, you know, whatever to whatever, those who say they, they follow Christ. Well, sure, that's, that would be great. But each one of those people out there is somebody that God cares about. And, and Jesus saw them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he did what was needed to help them. So we should be compassionate people too. Our Lord and Savior, as we have seen many times throughout Matthew 8-9, through showed great compassion to people. Are we people who show that same kind of compassion? And, And think about it this, I'll say it one last time before we finish up this series. If we claim to follow Jesus, then we should have compassion on people like he did. So are you a compassionate person? Will you do what's needed for people? let's move on to our second point now, authority. I want to point out to you four ways in this passage in which Jesus showed his authority. First, Jesus had authority to teach and preach. We saw that authority on full display if we just turn back a few pages to Matthew 5 through 7. That's where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, and the people were amazed at the authority that he had there as Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom of God. Because in his compassion, he wanted people to know the truth about the gospel. And if you don't know the truth of the gospel, let me just give it to you in in the short version here. 
Even though we are sinners, God loves us. And he sent Jesus not just to teach us, but to take our sin penalty upon himself. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died for us to take our penalty away from us so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ can have complete forgiveness and eternal life. That is the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring it to us. He wants us to know it. So Jesus had that authority to teach and to preach, to tell us the truth about God and salvation. But then also Jesus had the authority to heal. And again, we saw this many times. There's ten stories in Matthew 8 through 9 of healing. There's also two verses in there that point out to us that he did a bunch more healing. So he had great authority from God to heal. And whether it was healing from sickness or demon possession or even death, Jesus showed that he was both willing and able to heal. So these healings show both his compassion, that he was willing to heal, but also his authority and that he was able to heal. And he did it again as part of his ministry to proclaim the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. Then third, Jesus has the ability to shepherd. Again, in verse 36, Jesus noticed that the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep are not known for their ability to fend for themselves. Do you, do you know that about sheep? Uh, they are very vulnerable to attack from other animals. They're also not very good at finding their own food and water. Sheep need shepherds. And that's exactly who Jesus is. He is our shepherd. Now I want to show that to you, that ministry of, of Jesus being our shepherd, from two passages, quick passages. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. In Micah 5, we see this prophecy about who the Messiah would be. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Doesn't that sound good? that shepherding ministry of Jesus. And then look what Jesus said himself in the New Testament in John 10, 14 through 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. How good of a shepherd is Jesus? So good that he laid down his life for us. We were lost and he died to save us. And then a fourth way that Jesus showed his authority, it's his authority to harvest. Our passage here quickly shifts imagery from shepherding to harvesting. On this harvesting analogy, if we were to think of the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, we see a picture there of Jesus bringing in the final harvest, bringing his people to live with him forever in the perfect place. He died to save us, and he will bring that salvation to completion as he brings his people to be with him forever. In verse 37 of our passage today, Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. And let's just stop there for a moment. Why is that? Why is there a plentiful harvest? Why was there in Jesus' day? I believe there still is today. Why would there be a harvest at all? Because God is at work to draw lost people to Jesus. That's what God does in our world. 
It reminds me of some parables Jesus taught about seeds and plants and trees growing. The Apostle Paul picked up on that one, and, and Paul talked about how he had a ministry of planting and somebody else had a ministry of watering. But remember what Paul said? It's God who causes the growth. So the reason that there's a harvest at all is not because we go out there and do such a good job farming. It's because God causes the growth. And in our passage today, there was a plentiful harvest and Jesus had the authority to harvest it. But what's interesting to me in this passage where Jesus goes from there. Now eventually, like I said in Revelation, Jesus himself is going to gather that harvest. But as we wait for that time, we see Jesus doing something else we see Jesus asking people to join with him in the harvest. Now, it's harvest time in our area, and I know precious little about farming, which is kind of embarrassing to me, being the grandson on both sides of farmers. But uh, what I do know about harvesting, I know largely because of the, the work that my dad has done to help his brother on the family farm. Every year around this time, my dad goes up to help with the sugar beet harvest, and uh, about every year at this time, I have a conversation with my dad of, do they have enough sugar beet drivers? You see, there's, there's all these sugar beets in the field, and they need to get to the plant, but what do you need in order for that to happen? You need people to help with the harvest. So every year, there's this battle, and it's not just uh, on that farm, it's on farms all around. They need enough people to come and help bring in the harvest. Well, in our passage today, Jesus calls for extra workers, which leads to our third main point of the day. Will we follow Jesus? Now again, like we just saw in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but we see something else there as well. The workers are few. The solution, Jesus had already figured it out in verse 36, not that he needed to figure out, I mean, he, he knew it, but uh, Jesus already told us what the solution was, that the lost sheep needed their shepherd. The harvest needed to be brought in. So what's interesting is to see Jesus' plan for how those things will happen. How will the, the lost sheep know their shepherd if no one tells them about him? How will the harvest be brought in if there are not workers to bring it in? And don't get me wrong, I believe that God could, could do this all by himself if he wanted to. He could do it with a loud, booming voice from heaven, with, by sending dreams to people. Uh, I've heard stories of people locking themselves in their room and just reading the Bible until they realize that they need Jesus. God could do this without us, but it seems to me, both from what we see in Scripture and from experience, that God's preferred way of letting people know that they need Jesus is to use people like you and me. And think about your story. Is, does your story include anybody else? Does your story of coming to know Jesus have anything to do with somebody teaching you about God, showing you love, walking you through the gospel message? That is how God seems to prefer that this would happen. That's why Jesus commanded his followers to pray in verse 38 that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest field. And I have two applications now that I want to give in this section. My first application is that we should pray. Pray that God would send out workers into his harvest field. You see, verse 38 here, look at it again. It, it's not a suggestion from Jesus that we would ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. It is a command that we would pray that God would send out workers into his harvest field. I pray this prayer almost every day. 
I pray because God has revealed to us how he wants to reach his world, and part of it is that we would pray that God would send out workers, that there would be more and more people out there to tell about the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, as familiar as I am then with that verse, I learned something new about it this week, and I want to show it to you, that there's a word that's translated as send out in that verse. It's the same word that's used, this is interesting, same word that's used when Jesus cast out demons. So think about that. As, as Jesus is casting out a demon, it was a forceful thing. That demon was to be gone, to be sent out. Now, the word itself, sent out, doesn't have a negative connotation. It has a forceful connotation. So when it's used in our context, you're thinking about it again. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. For those who are sent out, it might feel like a kick in the pants. And, and maybe that's what some of us need, myself included. Maybe we just need to be reminded that we need to get kicked out of our comfort zone every once in a while to talk to people about Jesus. Leads to our second point of application. I've already kind of blurred the lines into it, but the second point of application is that we should do our part as harvest workers. We should do our part as harvest workers. Let me use an illustration uh, to, to illustrate this point here about going from prayer to doing our part. It's again from my life with crew. I was on staff uh, with crew, and in the year 2002, we were at our Christmas conference together, and I believe the date was New Year's Eve 2002. So we were in a staff meeting, about 200 staff members from around the upper Midwest region, and we were listening to our overseas director talk about our overseas partnerships, and he mentioned there that one of our partnerships, our partnership with Turkey, was about to be discontinued because we didn't have anybody to lead next year's team. And, and I heard that, and immediately I felt convicted to pray that God would raise up someone else to go and do that. So for the next three months, I prayed that God would raise up someone, most of the time praying that he would raise up someone else, although I think I, I probably knew right away that, that I was going to be part of the answer to that prayer. And that's the way that it worked out, that I, I, after three months I just couldn't deny it anymore that God was raising me up to go and meet that need. So I went that next year, uh, spent a school year there ministering in Turkey. And I'm so thankful for that, by the way. And by, I, I felt very forcibly kicked out in that time, so that prayer to send out workers into the harvest field, that I felt forcibly kicked out. But I'm so thankful for it. Now, getting back to our passage, when Jesus commanded his followers to pray for workers to be sent out into the harvest field, he clearly assumed that those who followed him would be part of the answer to that prayer. Let me show you that in Scripture. We just read the last verse of Matthew 9. Let's look at the first verse of Matthew 10. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus gave authority to his followers to do what he had been doing in his public ministry. And it wasn't just healing and driving out evil spirits because in chapter 10, verse 7, it says, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. To see what Jesus was doing. Sending out workers to go and do what he had been doing to join with him in his mission of going to the lost and telling them about the good news of the kingdom of God. Now think about how that applies to the mission of Jesus and our part in it. I, I like this description from Luke 19.10, the mission of Jesus. It says there that he came to seek and to save what was lost. 
No, for those of us who follow Jesus, we should join with him in his mission of going after the lost. We can't save them, but we can point them to the one who can. So we shouldn't just be praying for others to do that, by the way. I think it's good and right for us to pray for missionaries. That should be a regular part of what we do. But I think that we should also recognize our part as workers in the harvest field. Because you see, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, I'm going to put this up on the screen, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he, he said to go and make disciples of all nations. He commanded his followers there in verse 20 to teach everything that Jesus commanded, including then the command to go and make disciples of all nations. So, so this explains how we got here. You ever wonder, how, how did I get here? Who, who am I? Why am I here? Well, you're here in large part because Jesus taught his followers the message of the kingdom of God, and he taught them to give it to others, who then gave it to others, gave it to others, gave it to others, all the way until it has reached to us. And unless the second coming of Jesus, Jesus happens right now, I don't want us to be the last link in that chain. You see, people gave the message to us, and part of the message in there, uh, I, I like how it said in 2 Timothy 2, 2, where Paul told Timothy to teach others who could teach others. So do you see, when... when People tell us the gospel. They were also supposed to remind us to go and tell others. And then when we tell others, we're supposed to remind them to tell others. And in that way, God continues to build his church. That is God's preferred method of how people would come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So we are to be disciples and make disciples. And by the way, what does the word disciple mean? It means learner. We are, we are to be people who learn from Jesus. We are to study who he is and what he did. And as we follow him, we trust that God will make us more like him. There's two basic parts to being a disciple. One is that we would know Jesus, and the other is that we would join with him in his mission and that we would make him known. So it's just like our mission statement here at Cornerstone Church. A passion to know Christ, commission to make him known. See the two parts there? We're to have this passion to keep knowing Christ, to keep seeking Him, to walk with Him, to know Him in all our ways. And then the second part is, as we're walking with Jesus, we make disciples. We help other people know Jesus. We help them grow in their faith. If they don't yet know Jesus, we explain the gospel to them so they can come to know Christ. So let me ask you a question. Are you engaged in the kingdom work of making disciples? Are you actively engaged in that? We're still on our final application for the day, which is we should do our part as harvest workers. And part of our work is to pray, like I said in the previous application, but that isn't all we do. We should recognize that as we follow Jesus, God will equip us to do work in his harvest field. And honestly, I feel under-equipped often. Maybe even most of the time, I feel under-equipped for this. But that's when I, you know, maybe I shouldn't say most of the time, because I do recognize that God equips us through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He equips us to do his work. Every follower of Jesus should be praying that God would send out workers into his harvest field. And as we pray, we should recognize that God might be raising up us as part of the answer to those prayers. I'm not saying that God will forcibly send you all to Turkey. Maybe he will. But being sent out can be as easy as being sent to your neighbor to talk to them about the good news of the kingdom of God.
So let's get practical here because I, I recognize that if I just tell you to go and do your part as workers in the kingdom, that the, what most of us would feel, myself included, would, would be to say, how? How do I do that? So I want to spend some time here at the end of my sermon and, and just get practical. How do we engage in this kingdom work of making disciples, of working in God's harvest field? And, and listen up here, because this is really important stuff, and I want each of us to do our part. And there are some things about this, again, like I said, that I don't know, that I, I just, I scratch my head some days and think, how do we do this? But there's other parts of it that we know for sure, and I want to start with one of those. One of the things that God has made clear to us is that we are to be actively involved in his church. You see, a major part of God's plan to reach this world is the church. You think about why are there so many people across the world who know Jesus? It's in large part because of the work of the church. Sometimes the church gets a really bad rap, but look at what the church has done on the positive side throughout the centuries, continuing to proclaim the gospel and the truths of God. You see, at church, we gather together around God's word. We worship him, we pray, we encourage each other, and as we do those things, God strengthens us, and he gives us opportunities to strengthen others. And as we do all of those things, maybe some seekers come in and they learn these truths about who God is. So if you want to do your part in making disciples for the rest of your life, I want to encourage you to be actively involved in God's church. Think of all the people that you will meet over the rest of your life if you are committed to doing this together with other believers. Think of all the people that you will meet, the people that you will have an opportunity to learn from, the people that you will have an opportunity to teach, and even the people that you will have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to as you do what Scripture has commanded us to do to get together. We're commanded in Scripture not to give up meeting together because God knows it's good for us as we encourage each other and it's good for us as we engage with him in his mission of making disciples. So think of it another way. As you are actively involved in church, you can invite others to come with you to church where they will learn the truth of God's word. And, and I, here's where I have, I mentioned I heard a rebuke from a message a long time ago. I want to give what might be a rebuke, but I'm going to include myself in it. So I'm pointing my fingers at all of us here. I think at Cornerstone, we can do a little bit better job of bringing people with us. Okay? I, I think that, that maybe this is a specific prayer point for us and an action point. That, that we would see the people around us and, and invite them to come to church with us. I, I, I look at you guys as an army, an army of people who are equipped with the gospel of the kingdom of God. And God is the one who opens doors. It's God's harvest field. He's, he's already at work drawing people to Jesus. We need to be the hands and feet of the body of Christ and one of the things we can do is we can invite people to come with us to church. It's one of the most powerful ways, I think, of, of seeing lasting fruit of evangelism. You know, the, uh, the cold call, knocking on strangers' doors. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it, what I've seen, effective evangelism, most of the time, it's somebody knew somebody and brought them along with them. And I want to just encourage us to do a better job of that, myself included. So we want to be people who are actively engaged in what God is doing through the church. And, and I want to give a quote now from a theologian to highlight the, the active part of this. 
Um, listen to what Grant Osborne said. This, this guy was a, a seminary professor of mine at Trinity. Here's what he said about our involvement in church, specifically in regard to mission. He said, It is not enough just to attend church. We must begin serving the Lord in and through the church. Too many people in our ruggedly individualistic society are content simply to sit in the service and listen. Jesus does not allow that. He demands we get to work and use our gifts to enhance the body. I like how he makes this distinction between just going to church and being an active disciple maker in the church. And I think that maybe the takeaway again for some people is just getting more involved in what God is doing by being more involved in the local body. Because again, think of the people that you will meet. Again, you can learn from them. You can teach them. And as new people come in, we can all together share the gospel with them. Jesus was and is actively involved in the harvest and he wants us to join in with him. Jesus knew that his time on earth would be short so he asked his followers to pray and he asked his followers to join with him in his mission. And that hasn't changed as we move to 2017. So will we follow Jesus in his ministry and in his mission? So that's one tip, is that you would be more engaged in what's going on in the church as a way to serve God and his kingdom. And then let me give one more tip. Um, this is one that I heard recently, and uh, I kind of have shifted around and kind of made it my own, but he, here's the this, this second tip on how we can be actively engaged in making disciples. Making disciples is about who you know, and there are two categories of who we should know. This first category is that we should know Jesus. So again, this is the first part of our mission statement, that we have a passion to know Christ. Being a disciple has everything to do with following Jesus. So... As we think about helping others know Jesus, we need to remember that that should be the overflow of us having a passion to know Jesus and to walk with him. But then second, as we know Jesus, which, by the way, I'm not suggesting that you finish knowing Jesus and then move on to the second. No, we, this is a lifelong goal to know Jesus. But then as we're doing that, we should work at knowing others. If we're going to make disciples, we have to be in relationships with other people. So that's kind of along the same lines of what I already said about getting more active in, in the ministry of the church where you'll get to know more and more people and you can have a disciple-making ministry. So just think about it. Do you want to have a disciple-making ministry in which you help, let's just say, let's talk about Christians first. Do you want to help Christians grow in their faith? Well, then put yourself around other Christians. That, it seems like a no-brainer, but sometimes we forget that, that we're not going to make disciples unless we're actually in relationships with other people. So, again, get in the habit of meeting with other believers. But then also, disciple-making is about evangelism and helping people who don't yet know Jesus come to know Jesus. So, in this, we need to work at knowing the lost. Remember how we talked about a, about a month ago? We were talking about how Jesus was a friend of sinners. It's kind of funny. That was something that uh, was perhaps first said to Jesus as an insult. Oh, you friend of sinners. And it's like Jesus wore it as a badge of honor. And I just want us, as, as we look out and we see the people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, think of all the people you know in your life who are on the wrong path they're making bad life decisions. What does that mean? It means they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They are choosing their own path and it's a path that leads to destruction. That's what sheep do. 
I heard a story once that if you just let a sheep graze in a, in a field where there's too much clover, that they will eat and eat and eat until they die. That's what the people of the world are doing. They are consuming the things of this world on their path to death. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So I want to urge all of us to befriend them. To be like Jesus, a friend of sinners. Not that we join with them in their sin, of course not. But that we love them and we bring the gospel message of Jesus Christ to them. So we should be actively seeking to build relationships with lost people. Let me tell you a story about this. Um, It can be easy to be complacent and to not seek relationships with lost people. When I was on staff... Uh, in 2005, my last year on staff with crew, I was at the University of Iowa. And the way this often goes is at the beginning of the year, we really gear up and we try to meet a lot of new people. And that work gets kind of tiring. And by the second semester, it can be easy to get complacent and to, try, and, and to not meet new people and, and to not get the gospel out there as much as before. So the second semester one year, 2005, my staff director challenged our staff team to intentionally go out and meet more lost people. It was kind of a a kick in the pants, a sending out that we all needed. And I appreciated that challenge, and it, it led me into some of the most fascinating gospel conversations I've ever had. Um, I'll tell you the quick story of one of them. I ended up getting to know the pagan group. On the University of Iowa campus, the pagan group, and they invited me. They knew who I was. They called me their Protestant friend. I I didn't tell them I was a Protestant. They just called me their Protestant friend. They invited me one day to be the speaker at their meeting. And I got to share. They knew what I was going to do. I got to share the gospel at the, the pagan meeting at the University of Iowa. Think what God will do for you as you join with him and his mission. The harvest is ready. Jesus told his disciples in John 4 to look at the harvest. It was white for harvest. God is at work drawing lost people to Jesus. He wants us to go out and join with him in his mission. So I want to encourage you to pray about that. And then I want to encourage you to get to know people of whom you can make disciples. And not that we turn them into our project, but that we love them with the compassion that Jesus had that we go and bring the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God to them. So again, if you want to follow Jesus, I want to urge you to be on mission with him. I want you to think about who are the lost people in your life right now. And if you can't really think of lost people that you would say are your friends, maybe I want to send you out forcibly and think about how you can meet lost people and share the gospel with them. And that reminds me of our first application, which is to pray, which is maybe a good way for us to end. Because prayer reminds us that this is all God's work. We don't just go out in our own attempts at this. We trust that God is the one who leads us into this. So do you want to be a disciple maker? Do you want to obey God and have the compassion of Jesus and make disciples? And I want to urge you to pray And I want to urge you to look at the people that God has already put in your path. And I want to urge you to think about maybe some new places that you could go to meet more people of how you can be a disciple maker. I want to urge you also to think about how you can be more involved in what's going on in God's church. And if you're not sure how to do that, I'd love to talk with you. Talk with Josh. We'd love to help you out, figure out what your place might be to serve here.
But our part is to be willing and ready to make disciples as we follow Jesus wherever he leads us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending people into our lives. And I just wonder how many of them perhaps felt uncomfortable as they were sent out. But God, we thank you that you sent them. And now, God, we come before you and and we want to be followers of Jesus. We thank you for the good news of the gospel which has saved us. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would follow Jesus and as such we would follow him in his mission. Help us to do our part in making disciples. Help us to see the people that are already around us that we can do that with and help us to go where you lead us even if, that, if that's somewhere new or even uncomfortable. We pray that, you, that, that we would follow you wherever you lead us. God, would you build your kingdom and we just offer ourselves to you in that process. Help us to make disciples. Help us to go with your message. And God, I pray that we wouldn't try to do this in our own power, but that we would be people who pray and who trust you to fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.